And hello, everyone. Welcome to Intimate Animation, the Squiggly Podcast, with me, Ben Mitchell, and Laura Beth Cowley. Hello, Laura Beth. Hello. Uh, it's a little quieter than usual. There's usually music playing. There isn't today because the music's on my other computer that has shit its last bed and is, uh, I think, probably unsalvageable at this point. I have them backed up somewhere, but I'd have to go and get an external hard drive and sift through them to find the bit of production music that I assigned to this particular podcast. It'd be a whole thing. So we're going lo-fi this episode. Nude. Nude, I like that. Of course, how apropos. Can you not just record it, like, off? (laughs) Well, I could... Off the wireless. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose I could, like, play it up on the... um, the laptop here, the laptop which has the shittest sound card or it could be like, in it, it could be like the known world. I'll play the intro from an earlier episode. Let's see if this works. I'm so excited. Alright, strap in. Hello everyone, welcome to Intimate Animation, brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. This series covers animation that takes on adult themes of love, relationships, and sex. So steal yourself as there's some frank discussion ahead. Seamless. I'm sure you'll agree. Tinny. It's <laughs> very, very tinny. It's a um, recording from inside of a can. Yeah. This is a dreadful, dreadful sound system on this laptop. But there you go. So now we've got the disclaimer out of the way. Couldn't have done without that. We can carry on with the latest episode of Intimate Animation. Yeah, it's been a couple of months since the last episode. And I believe we had Floor Adams on. So actually, it's been a few months because that was around Encounters time. Yeah, that was a while. Uh, since then, um, that film has continued to do very well. It did brilliantly at Encounters. It did brilliantly at the Manchester Animation Festival where we saw it after. And uh, I'm sure it is continuing to please all the crowds it finds itself in front of. Didn't make the Oscar nominations, sadly. Because we at Squiggly are a bunch of fucking jinxes, apparently. We really are. We should just keep our mouth shut. <laughs> well, it helps if you're based in America and work for one of the three major animation studios, really. I, I won't hear a word against uh, Kitbull or, <laughs> or the other, you know. Well, actually, um, I you know, there are some nominees that uh, I'm pretty okay with but it would have been lovely to see Flo's film or Theo's film The Physics of Sorrow Theo Ushev it's interesting actually because Flo and Theo had very long films and I wonder if that had a part to play because they were both around a half hour mm. each and I wonder if maybe but I, I mean it's not like yeah, you're curating a festival ones. so but yeah the most of the ones that have like quite a few of the ones that have won in the past have been that length yeah so I no. Mm. I don't know if most have, or maybe a couple have. I'm, I think probably they tend to be more around like the ten minute mark. Well, we'll see what happens. It's what next week. Uh, it'll it's impending certainly. Yeah. So. If you missed it, we also talked a bit more with Floor uh, at the Encounters Festival. Uh, if you go to our Encounters minisodes, which I think came out like a week after her uh, podcast episode, so it was a uh, Floor galore. For a little while there here in Squigglyville. But we're moving on to this episode's guest. We have Elizabeth Hobbs. She'll be talking about, I guess, mainly her film, I'm Okay. 
which she made a couple of years ago now uh, with Animate Projects and the National Film Board of Canada. Uh, Lizzie Hobbs and uh, you actually go back a little bit of a ways, don't you? Yeah, kind of. She was my she was one of my lecturers when I was in uni in the sense that she was like a guest lecturer, weirdly who worked in the English department for okay. some reason, which I never quite understood in terms of like why she didn't work in the animation department. Was she teaching English or was she teaching animation to English students? Animation to English students. That makes so much sense. It <laughs> my was it like uh, art therapy for people who were freaking know. out about their English assignment. I I don't know. It was very interesting, but Anglo Ruskin's a bit weird like that. Like we do very strange things. Or the animation department's kind of strange. It's not so much now. I think they've actually got going a bit more with it. But yeah. in my day, it was very like it was very art school. Like if you went to an art school. It, in like the 70s i imagine it was pretty much like what my art school was like <laughs> like it was the last remaining one where i had like friends that i'd done foundation years with who were like being expected to do like live briefs and work professionally and do animatics and storyboards and work on like 20 minute films and we were like i've just been playing with crayons for three weeks <laughs> so it's a bit odd yeah um i do remember because when we first started going out you were were you still studying or had you just graduated? Or? Just finished. Just finished or finishing up? Just finished. Just finished, okay. Because I definitely came by the campus at one point, yeah. I think. So, I, was still yeah. te- I was teaching then. That was it. You went back and you taught a couple of classes. Yeah. So you did your foundation. You went to Bournemouth to begin with and then Anglia Ruskin was Yes, okay. yeah. I got, I think I did get a place on the BA there, but they had something like, 160 students joining that year where AOU had 10. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to get completely lost amongst mm. those 160 people. I will be that 160th person that never stops crying. <laughs> so, well, that, I mean, I was teaching at Bournemouth last year and um, a bit the year before, and it is maybe because I was there not so often pretty much everyone I did sort of like interact with I kind of remember but I don't think it was 160 I think I maybe probably had like a quarter of mm. the intake and I think that's when you're a VT you know and you're assigned certain groups then you can actually sort of handle it and give people sort of proper attention but yeah I imagine for the full-time staff there mm. who would like it sort of day in and day out they're dealing with like the same on mass group maybe there is more of a thing okay yeah well, they're a very strong course, and it's one of those kind of things, retrospectively, maybe I'd have been better off there, but I enjoyed my time at Anglo Ruskin, and I got a lot out of it from a like just a confidence point of view and being able to wing things a lot easier and not worry so much about stuff, which I think if you've done like a more formal animation course, you're more industry-ready, possibly, yeah. but you're not as equipped maybe to sort of throw your hand at anything. Sure. Which is its in itself a tool, yeah. I guess. Anyway, I, I, on that point, Lizzie Hobbs is very much one of those people. She's very self-directed, can do pretty much all elements of what she needs to do in her own work. Mm. So with, like, I'm okay, she was the animator, the editor. Um, I've, she did have a producer on board, but she often just does her own work by herself in her yeah. own time and can is good at self-motivating that and that's why i guess she was brought 
how we ended up meeting and how she ended up teaching on our course. I think she was teaching us storyboarding, of all things, quite randomly. Hmm. But, but yeah, that kind of more intuitive, organic way of making films and the focus being on getting frames and shots and sequences done rather than necessarily planning them and organising them, which as a student I was like, Boah, why? <laughs> That's completely against the grain. But as a as someone on the other side of being an art school, I'm like, oh, I wish I'd relaxed a lot more and had done that. But Well, actually, we kind of had to do that because we had to make films in like three weeks, but yeah. it was a much more, I don't know, not organic, that's not the wrong word, but more... Intuitive? Yeah, way of making films. Sometimes it meant that we didn't actually make a film or they didn't have endings or didn't make any sense, but uh, <laughs> they uh, we got a lot of content. Sounds out. about right. <laughs> but then you see, you know, some people from very formal ones and it's like, I did the background on this film. And it's like, oh, okay. No. So it's it comes down to what you judge as worthwhile from your own content, I guess. Yeah. But Lizzie's very good at that and she's very good at She's also just insanely enthusiastic about everything. She has a really like bubbly um personality. She reminds me of Miss Honey from Matilda. Okay. But she's got like a very like like most people that are like quite like that on the outside. They have a like dark, dry wit to them as well. Yeah. Which comes as a bit of a surprise. Yeah. And so when you sort of catch it you're like, Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I think there are moments in her films that that kind of manifests itself. Mm. And uh, in the case of this film, which we'll go into in a little bit, in a kind of blink-and-you-miss-it way, mm. it's like literally for a few frames here and there, like little kind of dark interjections and sort of wry little observational things. She has almost like no fear because her work is so vibrant and like sporadic her way of constructing stories is similar like she'll just sort of throw something in yeah because she doesn't overanalyze it which i guess is a very freeing way to work if if that's something you enjoy and you can do yeah which she does and can yeah i was sort of aware of her when i was studying which was a, a few years before and she had done some work with animate projects uh, I think also another film with the NFB a while ago. And there were films that were sort of like um, The Old, Old, Very Old Man is one I remember. Uh, I think that's one that Steve quite likes as well, which is like just sort of ink on tile. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, the blue one. Yeah. I like this one. The um, like Imperial Provisor Frumbold, yeah. which is an animate projects one. It's all like little rubber stamps on film, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that was one I recall sort of seeing quite a bit in the uh, earlier days of Squiggly. I think it was kind of around that time, like 2012, 20, mm. or it says here 2013. And a couple of years after that, probably one of my sort of overall favorites of hers is called Gah. <laughs> I'm not actually sure if that's how you pronounce it. It's G-A-A-A-H. And this is the one she did on the typewriter. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the uh, airplane were, flight. Yeah. Um, and I just love that. I love that kind of implementation of, like, you know, that use, I thought, of the kind of, like, text and the, the that very nice sort of feel of the typed lettering on paper and symbols and stuff like that, the way it was all sort of put together. Mm. was really satisfying. So, She's yeah. sort of just making her way through all the possible iterations of how you can make an analogue film. Yeah. Like, she'll sort of do a film in a similar vein for, like, maybe a film, maybe two and then she'll move on to something else. 
Yeah, she doesn't kind of like rely on. Oh, I'm I'm the the director who makes films with typewriters. Yeah, which you know there are plenty of people certainly in the more avant-garde experimental side of animation. Like, oh, they find their crutch, and boy, do they fucking lean on it. And Gah was about um, <laughs> Amy Johnson's record-breaking solo flight from Croydon to Australia in 1930. Uh, the reason I bring that up is to kind of address that the films that she makes often are about things that happened or people from history. I was going to say, yeah, it was something that someone weirdly brought up yesterday about Weird Eyes, that we always do films about reality. And I was like, oh, yeah. Weird Eyes, your collective. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, so we do. I don't know why. I didn't think we did. Well, there's a lot of good source material in in the real world. Really, everything is kind of based on reality in one way or not. In another somehow isn't it everything is like it's very un- well, we all draw from life yeah us, but it's not necessarily an event but a- lizzie particularly does like yeah. she i can't remember what the name of the project is but the one that she did with sam moore it's another animate project is with the recent one or? yeah the uh, the, the one happiness the machine oh yeah yeah the anthology um thing. and how that was such a weird project because everyone that was involved interpreted it in such random ways, except for the two British people who chose to do very based-in-reality stuff. So Lizzie's was based on a, a fairy tale. Yeah. As often her work is, like, a lot of the time she does take from, like, fables and fairy tales or real life, and then Sam Moore took from basically a documentary about a company that sells pants. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, this was a loose interpretation of a fisherman and his wife by the Brothers Grimm, according to her website. Uh, yeah, so that was The Flounder. It's a really interesting body of work, and it's almost conspicuous that we haven't yet actually had her on the podcast. Not even this podcast necessarily. Her work isn't mm. necessarily charged with themes of love and romance and sex. But just as, you know, someone who is always ever present, I think, in animation circles. Um, But here she is now. (laughs) So the film that we're going to be mainly sort of talking about, the one that I think is probably the most relevant to what we generally talk about on this uh, particular series, is called I'm Okay. And like I said before, it was produced uh, with Animate Projects and the National Film Board of Canada. Uh, with Abigail Addison as the British producer and Yelena Popovic as the Canadian producer. We've spoken to Yelena in the past. Uh, this is a film about the life and art of Oscar Kokoschka and his ruminations, I guess, on a tempestuous and fiery affair he had with a woman called Alma Mahler. He was so shaken by it, uh, he went off to go fight in the war and uh, he got promptly shot in the head. The film sort of plays out in a very experimental way, you know, at first glance, but it actually does kind of carry through as a sort of strand. It's, you know, you've, you're following him as he goes off to war, and I guess it's kind of presenting his memories of this affair, like post getting, you know, wounded, I think when he's maybe either comatose or being transported to the hospital, or maybe his life is sort of flashing before his eyes. He ends up okay. He didn't die until 1980, so he lived a, a long life. According to his biography, he ended up fleeing Austria because he was deemed a degenerate 
by the Nazis. Which I don't know, what do you have to do to be, like, a degenerate in Nazi terms? Be disabled, gay, sad. Oh, you reckon he just wasn't Aryan enough? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was just like, the Nazis like, this guy's too fucking much for us. <laughs> yeah, weirdly they thought that about everyone. <laughs> Okay, so he was the good, the good kind, presumably. Of, uh, I, I assume so. I guess, generally speaking, if the Nazis like aren't g- good with you, you're doing something right. Yeah, you don't really want to be like okayed by the Nazi party. Yeah. This woman that he was infatuated with, or with whom he carried on this affair with, was something of a, um, a muse, I suppose, to a bunch of artists. Um, I think you made the quite astute point. She's a bit like the Kiki of... Um, uh, Austria. Mm, yeah. Their affair, I think, got a bit much for him and he became a bit controlling. And uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. She kicked him to the curb. Something that comes up in the interview, because it comes up like in every interview about this film, is that she kind of got the idea from seeing a doll that was at the uh, Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. He had a life size version of her maid. Oh, yeah. Wonder what he was doing with that. Yeah. And then apparently, like, later on, it was, like, really abused and, like, thrown <laughs> on the ground. And okay, let me guess it. which bits were worn out. Yeah. She's, and she's furry as well. She's, like, got fine. Well, it was a different time back then. She's grooming like her, and, no, oh, no, like, I all see. over. Like, her whole skin is made of fur because he wanted it to feel soft like her. So she's, like, it's, like, this mm. weird humanoid teddy sex doll well you know we don't judge here i mean we're you know I'm, we do I'm a sex podcast so <laughs> you would hope it would be like behind a big glass case like the doll in the conjuring someone like, has to touch it at some point to put it in that glass cage uh. <laughs> and i think they found it in like a dumpster as well they're just pulling sex dolls out of dumpsters and putting them in museums nowadays modern art eh? uh, so we all gone mad yep well, there you go. There's Should I little... tell you more? I, I Maybe I made all of that up. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to love it if the interview that doesn't come up at all. <laughs> and it was just something you dreamed. <laughs> well, either way, enjoy this little horrible story. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything else we should uh, go into regarding the film itself. I mean, the style of it is quite compelling. It, it's based, I think, on Oscar's own art in a kind of loose interpretive sense. Like, if you did look at his paintings and this film, you wouldn't necessarily say, like, one is trying it's to... It's based on his sketches and prints. So if you oh, look okay. at sketches and prints, it's a lot more like that. Yeah, and it was filmed using, like, a sort of very old-school setup, rostrum camera yeah, analog yeah. processes and taking the shot before the ink was dry kind of thing to give it more of a kind of life i suppose mm. a very frenetic energy to it you know like i say before like there was a lot of it is kind of like blink and you miss it sort of thing it's a bit stroby i guess at times and an interesting mix i think of like visual like quality i suppose like there's a lot of really really effective it's all quite minimal but very very effective scenarios that are kind of painted out like this the environment stuff the stuff of the train uh some of the figures interacting with other figures and then you have the faces which are a lot more kind of like faux naive like almost childlike and simplistic and um maybe that's sort of reflective of his state of mind because he's just been shot in the head Mm. i'm not sure but you know it's a a fascinating film so if you haven't yet seen it uh, i believe it is internationally viewable on the nfb website at nfb.ca slash i'm dash okay 
give it a whirl. I'm pretty sure it's uh, viewable worldwide. Yeah, let's have a chat with Elizabeth Hobbs. How's everything going with you? Yeah, good actually. I'm just in the in the bathroom, you know, doing doing what I do, <laughs> drawing, <laughs> drawing, loads of drawings with a pile of paper ink everywhere. Yeah, it's good. It's good. The more time I get to do that, the happier I am, really. So it's really nice time of year for me. This one. Are you yeah. working on a new film? Yeah, uh, just starting. So not yeah, not long into it. Just developing it really. So it's quite a sort of experimenty kind of phase. Yeah, it's quite nice. Is that not really sure what I'm doing? Just <laughs> having a go. <laughs> Is that uh, for someone or uh, just for yourself? Just yeah, just for myself at the moment. Nice. Um, Did you say you're heading up to Cambridge tomorrow? I'm t- yeah, I do still do one day a week there and one day a week at LCC at the UAL. Nice. Um, at Elephant and Castle. Yeah, it's really nice, actually. Sometimes it goes up to two days because I also teach a bit on the the old course that you did um, with Nanette, who's the new gym. Uh-huh. Um, so I still do a kind of three days for them. But, uh, yeah, usually it's... I try and do two-day teaching and three in the studio. If I can keep it at that, then I'm happy. It's really good there. You've got, you've got such a lovely sort of space. That studio is really nice. So uh, that's why I really like it, actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's not, like a, you know, a proper Yeah, and sometimes I have to go somewhere and I have to push the mice and the keypads to the side and the Wacoms, you know, and then you've just got a little bit of space in front of a computer to make something, whereas it's a bit messy and you can get some, you know, nice elbow room to make with materials, so I like it, yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. they haven't lost that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I think uh, that old, the old building is so great, you know, with its parquet floors and big rooms, you know, they can't sort of unless they move premises i don't think they'll lose that kind of space which is nice yeah so um the film follows the life of the expressionist painter um i'm gonna butcher his name now oscar kokoschka is that That's great, yeah oscar kokoschka um yeah. over the period of his life in which he falls in love breaks up and then ends up joining the first world war why did you choose to focus on this period of his life I chose to focus on that part because it was so dramatic. Um, I was drawn. Also, I started thinking about. Um, I was thinking about this doll that he made for her, for her once they'd split up, um, and I saw a picture of this doll at the Fitzwilliam Museum, an exhibition about artists' models. Mm. Uh, I think it was. A, do you remember? It's two thousand and fourteen. Yeah, Erica worked on that exhibition. I think. Yeah, she did. That's it. And then there was this tiny picture of this enormous kind of fluffy polar bear woman <laughs> thing. Do you remember? It was kind of like, it looks, it's slightly horrible. Yes. Um, so I whizzed in, whizzed, you know, focused in on that. I thought, my goodness, what is going on here? And he'd sort of split up with her and then commissioned um, a very famous doll maker, Hermina Luz, I think, to make this doll to his specifications. So this kind of hideous doll came, and I don't think he intended it to look so funny, but it's really furry, because he wanted it also to feel like her. Okay. So it's a sort of, this is a sort of side story, really, because that's kind of what got me into the story of Kokoschka, mm. and 
alma mater. And when I researched a bit further, I thought, oh, this doll isn't really very, it doesn't really show a very nice side to him. It was a little bit misogynistic, to say the least. And it ended up having its head chopped off the doll and, you know, covered in wine and thrown in the rubbish. So I thought, that's not really a way that I want to oh, wow. this relationship. Yeah. So um, in the end, I kind of read a lot around their relationship and this, it just emerged as a kind of really exciting quite sort of a uh, remarkable affair, love affair. And she was very notorious sort of lover. She also um, had other famous lovers. Um, but this period of three years, you know, is well documented by him. There's lots of drawings and there's, there's musical references and there's diaries and she's talked about it. So there was quite a lot of, you know, sort of material for me to mine. Um, and it kind of developed, you know, just quite organically from from me sort of immersing myself in this period of time um, the, the film sort of grew out of it and I just sort of drew and drew and listened and then drew a bit more and painted and you know looked at his prints and yeah so and then it sort of yeah I realised that this three years was exactly the period of time you know that I wanted to focus on and it was framed really nicely you know by this kind of injury that he got in the war yeah so yeah, so there wasn't really a, a sort of plan or a just kind of emerged the film. It probably looked like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> it probably sicked up on a page, you know. <laughs> um, um, and then the yeah, and the shape sort of came at the end, obviously a bit more formally with just the edit and things. But yeah, the material there's a lot of material in, in the studio. It's probably five times as much sort of material as you see in the film. It's kind of been generated over the period of four years. Were you ever um, tempted to tell Alma's story instead or fictionalise their narrative a bit more? Or at all? Um, tell it from Alma's point of view, you mean? Or focus it more on her? On her? Yeah, um, yes. I mean, no. I <laughs> think um, 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 it's a good question, actually. I mean, nobody's really asked that question before I I love his work his his lithography and his paintings and his drawings so for me the uh, the sort of doll got me in and and his relationship with Alma but it was his work that I was interested in sort of focusing on exploring and yes it would be nice if she would be the, could be the subject of a whole other film I think because she's also quite amazing. And do you think she would do that as like a companion piece? Oh, that's a good idea. I'll come back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not okay. Alma's story. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah, I, I, I would really like to. You know, my next film would definitely be about a, a woman, a woman's film, a woman's perspective because sometimes, you know, it does your head in a bit of being totally immersed in a kind of manly man world. Mm. Um, but yes, his, his work was the main, the main sort of, of tool for me. Uh, I absolutely love it. And I think, I, you know, I'm really happy as well to sort of share more about him than just his paintings. And I'm really, really happy that the film's been shown alongside his work in some places, which is just more than Lovely. I could imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Was that the reason you decided to go for uh, a style that was more similar to his prints and drawing style rather than his paintings then? I think the paintings are so, so special, but there's just no way that I could begin to kind of bring them them to life. And the, the drawings are really, you know, they're sort of executed at, um, at speed. And so I could, and I work at speed. And so I just, I would think I was looking for sort of line more than, more than paint. I mean, I've sort of added color in some ways, but then the work, my work is based on his kind of line drawings rather than his paintings, which are so extremely complex. Mm. I don't know how I could begin uh, to work with them. Okay. Yeah. So color factors quite heavily in both his and your work. Was there any symbolic reasons for the choice of colors placement during the film? I think I sort of deviated eventually and I was enjoying using the colour as a kind of dramatic tool in a way, uh, especially for those passionate scenes and things. I was enjoying kind of using flicker and I just went a bit bit bonkers trying to sort of create this total drama in a way, recreate the total drama of his narrative with the the use of colour in the film. Um, and it's always kind of a bit wet as well. So it's, I, you know, I really enjoyed kind of making it really kind of visceral uh, and trying to sort of play with this heightened sensation and, uh, yeah, and recreate it for the audience in the cinema, which is just, you know, a sort of exciting palette for me. Mm. This is a, a way in which you work quite regularly. Is there, was there anything particular to this project that you found difficult working in that way? Uh, I think this was a new, it was a new technique um, in a way because I was using like multiple pieces of paper rather than, you know, one one piece of paper. So I was kind of using more traditional technique for this film. Uh, in previous films, I used one single piece of paper and then erased it, but this was kind of new for me and so it had much more energy uh, yeah, but I think like all my films, I kind of shot everything five or six or seven times just to kind of get it better if I could. Partly it's because I'm not very good at animating straight away, so I just have to try it try it once and then think, I that didn't work. You know, I try again and again and again. So there's a lot of, yeah, retape and different colours and different brushes and, you know, just putting things out mm. in different ways. So, yeah, it was a new technique for me, but then I've used it recently in the new film, The Flounder, as well. So I sort of used it twice, and then I'll, I'll move on now to something else again, I think, because, you know, it's enough to... <laughs> I don't want to stick, <laughs> stick with one technique too much, if possible. Uh, why is that? I think, you know, life's quite short. I feel a bit alarmed. I've already got to 50 and or 51 now. So I kind of get a bit panicky. I think, oh, my God, I might only be able to make another 10 or 15 films. So I've got to keep going, you know, through the... I don't know, there's so many things I'd still like to try. I haven't tried working properly with, with collage. I've done tests, but I haven't done proper collage animation yet. And I haven't done a sort of claymation. And I haven't tried... You know, there's loads of materials and techniques that I've still got to have a go at let alone sort of do something nice with them so yes yeah, so I've got to keep on the move um, if I can 
I don't know why, yeah. I think it's just a bit boring as well to make things with the same technique every time. Mm. And if you get really good at it, then people start asking you to do other films with it, and that would be even more boring. So <laughs> if I keep on the move, no one's quite sure what I can do and <laughs> how they can best use my skills in a commercial sense. So nobody, you know, nobody will bother me for that. Okay. <laughs> Great tactic, huh? <laughs> How have you um, found the reception to the film? Oh, nice. Yeah, I got, yeah. The, the NFB have been responsible for the um, distribution of it. And so that um, that's really nice because they, they bring a certain sort of class to the uh, <laughs> marketing um, material. And, yeah, and they'll submit it to film festivals that I wouldn't normally submit it to. Partly they might be expensive or... Uh, difficult to get into so it's been great and I'm really pleased that yeah it's traveled around a lot and at the moment it, it can be seen in the big voice the British animation it was public choice um I think it's number two or three mm-hmm. so I'm really happy kind of having a, a, another little blast of attention in the UK which is really nice yeah it's it's been really nice I hadn't expected you know for it to be so sort of widely shown uh yeah and it was shown next to Kokoschka's work in Vienna which was like a dream come true could you tell me a little bit more about how uh you ended up working with the NFB yeah um uh, Michael Fukushima who's the who's now the executive producer at NFB he contacted me in 2002 or three after I'd finished two films in one in two years, the Emperor and the Witch, and he contacted me um, after those and said that he would be interested in a, a film. You know, they said they would be interested in artists, not in films. So it wasn't necessarily about the idea, but about working with me then. Mm. And then I think I got in touch again. Oh, I made Sawney Bean with them, um, which was in 2005 and then they kind of helped a bit with the imperial provisor from Bald. and then when I got the kind of okay funding from the Arts Council um, Abigail Addison my producer and I approached them again and said would you be interested in coming in to help this production and they were great so yeah so we were able to work with Yelena Popovich on the she's their producer there and um, and I went there with Abigail and we did the, the mix, the sound mix with uh, Sasha Radcliffe. It was really, really fun to go back after, you know, 10 years or 12 years of, of being away and, you know, go back to the same studio because they were in the old building when I went there a couple of years ago still. So it was really nice to work with them. They're an amazing organisation and I just I still can't quite believe that, that I can sort of sometimes, you know, go there and access their skills and talents and their equipment and technical help yeah it's really nice yeah so but I don't know now you know I'm not sure maybe in a few years if I have another idea that they like then you know I can get in touch again but there's not a sort of guarantee of of support Mm because they like sort of spread their love you know widely yeah um, with their international play pros and there's not much money in the UK anyway to kind of bring to the store to the party so that you need a bit of funding to approach them in okay. the first yeah 
and as we know, there's not much, is there? <laughs> it's getting a tiny bit better now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true, exactly, yeah, that's the positive, yeah, <laughs> there are positive signs, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, so a potentially kind of weird question, but because I'm, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it, but yeah. how do you, or what do you think you being a female filmmaker brings to your work or animation in general? No, that's a good, it's quite topical, isn't it, at the mm. moment, when it still glides backwards to the, you know, the gender balance is, is, isn't really very fixed yet. It's sort of some people are trying really hard to get, including the NFB, are trying to get sort of female filmmakers 50-50. But every now and then I'll go to a panel and I'll still find myself the only woman. And, you know, it just, it's not guaranteed, is it? So I think being a female filmmaker, uh, well, it changes, I think it makes a difference to the way that I work. And the, and the you know and obviously the narratives and the, I think the techniques as well be quite different because I'm um, maybe maybe because I'm a female filmmaker so I don't know which aspect of that to to tackle. I think the narratives you know I I hope that I'm looking at sort of when I'm looking at sort of historical subjects uh, from a sort of contemporary female view then I'm I'm slightly retelling history. Um, and I really like that aspect, of, you know, of it. When I was making a film about Napoleon Bonaparte, you know, I thought so many people have told his story. You know, why can't I have a go? Why can't I put his pickled penis in it? You know, and um, quite rightly, there was a sort of, you know, um, as you can imagine, there was this sort of slight response. You know, people saying it's not his <laughs> penis, and there was, a, you know, historians were furious. There was a few sort of nasty responses to the fact that I'd been audacious enough to uh, tackle this kind of fine historical subject, you know. And so I, I really like that, that fact and the fact that when you're working in animation, it sort of generally falls under the radar slightly. So you can go away and make something a little bit subversive, show it to a lot of people and, and actually not many people will notice. And so I think that's a bit what I've done with Kukoshka as well. You know, nobody's really told that side of his sort of story in a way that I just I don't you know, decided to and the, and the making I think probably my approach you know maybe it's it's not maybe it's not typically female but I'm you know I'm working in in the bathroom at home sort of slotting it in around you know family life and uh, so it's sort of I suppose my setup here is um is probably because of my gender, I guess, the way that I work, um, sort of furiously, <laughs> <laughs> furiously between ten and three, and furiously after everyone's gone to bed, you know. Um, but I, you know, that's how I like it. I'm not grumbling. It's it's what I want. You know, that's how I want it to be for the moment. And then when everyone's grown up and gone away, then I can, you know, perhaps take on a more permanent, you know, or longer hours or whatever. Mm. But at the moment, it suits me really well. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, there definitely needs to be more women. So that's why I really like teaching, you know, because I can sort of show show my work and say, we can we can do this, you know, get your stories out there and, and persist, you know, and make it part of your life. And all those messages, um, you know, important for young students, young women to hear so that they can see a path in front of them, you know, if they can. Mm. And not just you know, not just women, but you know, black and minorities as well. We need a, 
we need a more diverse industry full stop don't we yeah I think something I always found quite admirable about you and your work was was this idea that you you do make for pleasure as well as commission and you have this ability to just make you just just make it you almost think after the fact of making and it's I think it's something that is often overlooked or sometimes not talked about enough is just this idea of making things for the sake of making things and it not that animation isn't just an art form that lives in media it's and for selling and entertainment but it's also an expression and an art form and a craft and a hobby for a lot of people yeah oh thanks Laura I think mostly I really like um encouraging people to sort of set their goals or their priorities after college a bit different mm. and just think about how can they make animation a sustainable part of their life you know and whether that means trying to look after your physical self you know not doing sort of long back-breaking rounds for someone else but you know look up yourself and and enjoy it enough so that it's necessary to you know yeah that's often not what people want to hear they want to get a job in a production house or how to get to the BAFTAs or the Oscars I don't know so <laughs> it has to be I think if it's more modest then it's more likely to be uh, long term I think for people they're not likely to leave the industry so quickly <laughs> yeah. if, if their goals are, are sort of smaller and about what they need to do you know and I think the making part is, is sort of, you know, it's just a way of getting off the computer as well, isn't it? You do, you do that well, don't you? <laughs> you Not as much as I'd like. <laughs> yeah, I think we all get sucked into it, don't we, as well? But I think you spend your leisure time on the computer and you're, you know, when you're working and invoicing on the computer so I'd really like to try not to be on it when I'm making work as well, mm. if I can, you know. Scissors, scissors and paper all great aren't they <laughs> what do you think working in a physical space with real materials and objects brings to the screen and the audience that working digitally may not oh that's brilliant in my opinion i working from the materials it, it creates something that's uh that's probably a bit fresher and more surprising, not just for the animator, but for the audience as well. I never quite know what's going to happen. Um, so instead of thinking, oh, what materials do I need to make this film? I sort of think, what materials have I got and what will they look like when I bring them to life with animation? So it's sort of backwards way around for some people. And it doesn't really, it's not, it's also the whole industry is kind of set up so that you have to present a storyboard and script so you have to be able to imagine the whole film beforehand so it's not a very practical way to go about it if you want to get funding for the film but it does make it really nice for yourself because you're so constantly like overjoyed and surprised by what pops up on your screen when you've had an hour or two trying something and so that's what it's a sort of joy, a joy that I get from animating and I hope that, you know, the joy comes across in the work and I hope it sort of travels, you know, a little bit, yeah, from, from here to everywhere, if you, you know. But I appreciate that it's also because it's sort of not conventional that 
that it makes my films kind of slightly difficult for some people to watch and it's not everybody's cup of tea and that's totally fine for me as well because I just want to be sort of one voice in the lovely kind of chatter of the animation or creative world I don't want to be like you know the top dog or anything I just want to sit alongside all the other amazing works being made in in many different ways um just you know it's my way of doing it it doesn't work for everybody but that's yeah that's what it brings for me it's a nice element of surprise and and joy in the making because I don't think there's many days when I'm animating where I feel like where I feel like that was that was boring or that was predictable or that was uh, you know I don't know I never ever know what's going to happen and it's just nice you know it's exciting to work that way but it can be really annoying as well because <laughs> you can spend days doing something and it you know it, it's surprising but it's, just, it's not surprising in a good way it's like, oh, really <laughs> i still can't do a walk cycle you know oh why doesn't he yeah 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 so it's probably a bit like time wasting as well but yeah it worked and because i animate so fast i guess there's a kind of payoff trade-off yeah, yeah. there's an economy to it anyway yeah Sometimes I could do 20 seconds in a day of drawn animation, you know, which is like, whoa, you know, I'm on fire over here. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> so it sort of makes up for that months I spend, like, doing idiotic, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Elizabeth Hobbs for talking to Laura Beth Cowley there about her film I'm OK, and if you visit NFB, ca you can check that film out you can also see it doing the rounds at the moment as part of the british animation awards public choice screenings it's in program three uh there are three programs that are kind of going from venue to venue throughout the uk if you go to the squiggly events section uh you can see it sort of broken down have a look and see if there's a screening near you they started a couple of weeks ago, so I think for the most part, the first program of these three has already been and gone, but programs two and three, I think, are still doing the rounds. And yeah, it's a nice sort of selection of new, well, relatively new uh, British work across the British Animation Awards uh, every two years, so it's kind of a capsule of, you know, what's been going on in that period. So yeah, like I say, uh, I'm OK is in program three. Another Elizabeth Hobbs film, because she's so darn prolific is The Flounder, the film she did for The Happiness Machine, and that is in Program 2. I had a little look to see if there were other films in these categories that are kind of uh, thematically apropos as far as our podcast. Not that many, to be honest. feels like love and sex and animation isn't really in vogue. It's in a dry spell. Yeah, we need to, to moisten it up a bit. Mm, Ooh, we said that in unison. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I haven't actually seen all of these, but one that certainly looks really interesting, and I think we have some coverage of it coming up on the site itself, is called The Fabric of You by Josephine Loha herself, and I think it was made in Scotland. This is a film, if you go onto her website, there's a trailer for it and a description of it, and I think it's sort of primarily about lost love. It's set in the 1950s, I think, during McCarthyism. And it's about a tailor who I think is uh, hiding his sexual identity because it was a time when that was sort of the best thing to do. He meets someone and uh, I guess loses them and is sort of grieving. 
But like I said, there's a trailer for it. It's stop motion. It's really, really lovely uh, looking film. So I'm looking out for that one myself. Her website is josephineloharself.com. Uh, Lohar is spelled L-O-H-O-A-R. It's possibly not pronounced Lohar. I took a punt on it. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, the film is called The Fabric of You, if you get lost. Anyway. Uh, elsewhere in the public choice screenings for the British Animation Awards, here's another one in uh, Program 3 that uh, I really, really like. This is another one you can watch online uh, if you're not able to get to one of the screenings. And it's from our pals uh, here in Bristol at Rumpus called Group Works or Group Work Works. Uh, it's a sort of somewhere between, I guess, a uh, PSA and an explainer video. It's for the Bristol charity Sarsis, which stands for Somerset and Avon Rape and Sexual Abuse Support. The point of it is to decrease, not sure if it's stigma, but certainly anxiety around the notion of what group support is. And especially when it comes to the subject matter of sexual assault and any kind of invasive abuse like that, where talking about it in public, in any kind of public forum, or just to another person, can be quite daunting. This is a video that basically it sets out to, you know put people at ease i suppose it's essentially describing that this group isn't like you'd walk into like a sort of clinical room and they're kind of interrogated about your experience it's more it's more of a kind of informal welcoming setting and not something to be afraid of or um anxious about and uh what i really love about it is the actual animation and design is by a duo called hendon lamia who uh, I think are absolutely fantastic. Um, they're UE graduates. And uh, we've shown their work actually at the Manchester Animation Festival. I think we showed their UE film, not this past edition, but the edition before. And they're just fantastic. And so I, I think their work, you know, is really effective uh, for this type of video. Yeah, it's really lovely. And their design work in general is very nice. They're very good at visually representing emotion in their films and it, they even with something quite serious as this there's a, a brightness and a levity to the visuals that they create for it yeah yeah it's not sort of dealing with it frivolously it's just kind of like i say it's just sort of putting you know the mm. viewer at ease sort of thing lovely lovely works or something to check out uh rumpus you can find at rumpusanimation.com and uh, Hendon Lamia, uh, HendonLamia.com. Lamia has two A's at the end there. Not a whole bunch else in the British Animation Awards programs, although they do have the film Grandad Was a Romantic by Mariam Mohaja, which just won the BAFTA. So there you go. Uh, I think everything else, as far as like themes of love, is uh, pretty tenuous. It also could bear mentioning that in one of these categories is my new film, which could be considered the love story of the century. <laughs> well, it's about uh, ships that pass in the night, I suppose. No. No, not that either. No. No. It's, play it's, it's playing as part yeah. of one of the programs. It could go to program two. And, and it's a very surreal, funny take on what dating life in the 21st century is like. Well, I appreciate that uh, capsule review. I I've not actually seen it with an audience yet. Oh, have you Apparently, not? my producers went to see it when it played in Bristol for the public choice, and they said it went down well. It's nice and short and sharp and, like, punchy. So I think it will do short, well. Short is good. Short yes. Is, 
uh, and visually it's kind of it's quite different to your normal stuff. It doesn't look like your style of work. It's, it's a whole other way of I think approaching the animation. There's more of an impulse to to step a little bit away from just my general approach to cartoony visuals because I got that out of my system with Sunscapades. Mm-hmm. I you know I love but I do love those characters. You know, yeah, and, and yeah. because it, I was sick of them by the time I finished the film, but then it's been two years of seeing the film play at festivals and watching people laughing at it and coming up to me and discussing it and talking about the characters and stuff like that. I was like, oh, maybe there might be something in there, but I won't, I don't have any plans to kind of, I think, go back to them immediately. I'd like to do stuff that is quite different in the interim. So I have a good two or three ideas that I want to do first. Uh, one of them is this new film which is called Speed, and it was made uh, at Shy Guys here in Bristol. And it's sort of about love. It's about dating. It's about yeah. speed dating, uh, hence the title. Um, it's certainly not about sex, but it's maybe about certain sexual attitudes. Mm. And, uh, yeah, you might see it play somewhere in the near future. I, of course, if it's screening anywhere, I will be mentioning it in any episodes of the podcast, because that's what I do. Talking about Sunscapades, yes. that's also playing in Anima in Brussels, isn't it? It is. It's probably the last festival, I think, for Sunscapades. I but think it's what a festival. Um, what a, well, yeah, it was one I, a couple that I was holding out for uh, before releasing it online of two, and this was you know the one it got into. I don't know why I didn't submit it to Anima the first year it was out, like doing the rounds. I think I just forgot. Anyway, yeah, I was, think you just missed it by like a week or something and then was like, oh. Yeah, but luckily it was just sort of just eligible for this year's. And, but yeah, it's at the absolute end, I think, of its like festival yeah, window. It's I been finished going for it a while. two years ago. Mm. So yeah, it's a nice note to end on. It's going to be screening in uh, the animated night category. The animated night goes from half nine on Saturday, the 29th of February. Uh, it finishes at 20 past two. And I think my film will be on around 1 a.m., I guess. So The night before we leave. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> just glad to be on the team. Uh, I'm actually really stoked because it's playing with a lot of really, really good films. It's something really nice about that, knowing that even if some people don't like my film necessarily, they'll enjoy the night. <laughs> like when I know it's playing with other good films, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's a night C. And it's playing alongside... Oh, Hot and Tasty it's playing next to, which is that uh, film by Laura Jane Hodgkin about yeah, the girls love, and the chippy. This one. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, there are a couple of other sort of late night films that uh, might be worth sort of previewing in the intimate animation sense. This is one called Slug Life by Sophie Coco Gate, who's uh, someone I see on the Instagram quite a lot. Uh, this is about a woman who develops a taste for non-human lovers... Her bedroom experiments result in the creation of a beautiful giant slug, Ew, is the premise of the film. It's a really interesting, very mucus-oriented <laughs> looking film, if you look at the trailer for it. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the the BFG, <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. the bit where they're going through the tunnel. Uh, so that's Slug Life. Look Ooh. out for that at Anima in Brussels. That's in the uh, the second program. What else did I put aside here? Oh, Takayaki Story. Takayaki story. Um, like by <laughs> one of our favorite directors, Sawako Kabuki, who you know has done such films as uh, Summer Puka's Winter's Delight, I think is 
She is my favorite person. She's she is pretty great, I have to say. I want to learn. I want to learn Japanese just to be able to talk to her. <laughs> um, but I don't think learning Japanese would help. Yeah, I mean, this film is about a love—not necessarily a romantic love, but a love a woman has for octopus balls. Mm. Um, I'm assuming in the kind of sense of you know them being a delicacy rather than they're street food. They're gotcha. delicious. Um, but as with all of her work, uh, the presentation of it has a sort of um, directorial stamp, I suppose. Lots of things coming out of butts. Yeah. Which is just the way the world should be. She's like toilet humour in animation form. I love her. It's kind of beautiful in its way. Yeah. Uh, trippy as balls. This is one that I kind of earmarked. I haven't seen it yet, and I may be misreading it. I basically put it aside because I see this trailer all the time i mean maybe it's because i know a lot of people on my social media that are festival people um it's called deep love and uh it keeps catching my eye for a pretty blatant reason the vimeo thumbnail for the trailer is quite vagina-y but in the context of the trailer itself it's more just kind of odd it's and you made quite a good point actually um that it feels a bit like brothers mcleod and very, it's like Brothers McLeod and Oliver Kegler mixed. Hmm, okay. Is it because the trailer, watching this without context, kind of feels like 365? Mm, you know, like all yeah, those yeah. little like, one-second moments here and there. It's the type of, it's the very thin, wobbly line work, isn't it? Yeah. And the colours in particular. And the kind of weird, surreal kind of angles for things, like everything... You know what they're doing, but it kind of looks like it's wrong at the same time. Yeah, the buildings, the colour, the shading. The map, like, everything just comes at you quite... Yeah. Weirdly. So I'm not actually sure if this has many themes of love or sex in it, but... Uh, it has love it in the title. That's, it that's has love, exactly. That's what we're basing it on. So that's Deep Love from the Ukraine. It's by Mikita Liskov. One film I'm really looking forward to seeing is a kind of sequel film to... Uh, a film that we've actually featured on this series, by Kintis Lundgren. It's called Tumas Beneath the Valley of the Wild Wolves. Uh, this seems to follow one from the story of Manivald. Uh, I'm not sure if Manivald is in this film. It seemed like his story had kind of uh, concluded by the end of the uh, first film. Uh, this one is more about the character of Tumas, who was the uh, uh, male model that uh, enchanted... Actually, I think he was a plumber initially, and then the mother, like, uses him as a male model and um, ends up becoming a gigolo, I guess, in this film. So it's about his adventures therein. I really like her stuff. I think she's uh, wonderful. So looking forward to seeing this. It seems like it's very, very much in the same vein in terms of how it's been made. It's a lovely little world she's created. Little naked wolves. Little creatures. <laughs> I keep thinking his nose is a penis. Oh. Like a little hole. That's probably not uh, coincidental. Penis nose. That one actually isn't in Animated Night. Uh, that's just part, I think, of the main uh, short films competition program. Another one in the short films competition that we've mentioned a few times on this podcast is Memorable by Bruno Collet. We have a written interview with him on the site. And it's a beautiful film. It's about, you know... Uh, aging couple and their love for each other as one of them is sort of slowly losing his mind and uh it's quite something if you haven't seen it yet i'm not sure how much longer it's going to be sort of doing the festival rounds. i do know it's one of the films that's nominated for an oscar 
it's probably the one that I'm kind of rooting for. Yeah. If I'm brutally honest. Um, it's the one that really should win in terms of animation and story and emotion. Yeah. Like, the other two are lovely, but they're not, they're not doing anything particularly new. Well, I think there's four others for the Oscars. Unless it got oh, whittled down again. It's the sister one as well, isn't there? The sister, Kitbull, Hair Love. This. This. And Daughter. Oh, okay. Um, well, Daughter's quite good as well, actually. Yeah. I like Daughter, I like Sister, and I like Memorable. And... We I, like the stop motion one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't particularly like Kitbull. And I think Hair Love's okay. So, fingers crossed for that. Anyway, you can catch it on the big screen at Anima Festival in Brussels. You can check out the festival program for that at animafestival.be, and we're going to be there. Oh me, oh my. So you can come say hello to us if you like. But not if we're eating. <laughs> <laughs> not if we're eating or conversing or doing anything. Walking <laughs> silently. Get away! <laughs> we're very intimidating, and we will lash out at you if you try and make contact. Please talk to us, we're bored. <laughs> Uh, looking forward to that a lot. I've actually not been yet. I don't think you have either. No, I've never even been to Brussels, I don't think, or Belgium. Mm. So I think that's kind of uh, all we got for this episode. Um, thank you very much to Elizabeth Hobbs for talking to us. You can find her on Vimeo at vimeo.com slash Lizzie Hobbs. That's Lizzie with a Y uh, and Hobbs without an E. How are you spelling Hobbs with an E? You know, Calvin and Hobbs has an E. Where? before the S. Ah. Uh, she's also at lizziehobbs.wordpress.com. Thank you for joining us. Sorry, there's no music. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's what you tuned in for. A bum 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 bada bum 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 That's our theme team, right? Pretty much. As always, our website is squiggly.co.uk or .com, whatever's your pleasure. And you can follow us on Twitter at Squiggly, on Instagram at Squiggly Animation, and we're Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine. Give us some love. I think we're done. See you next time, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, 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 wow